How many of you have seen the movie Bruce Almighty? You know, some of you, half of you. If you know me, one of the, some of the movies I like are just these brainless movies where you don't have to think. There's no chance they're going to be awarded for the Academy Awards or anything like that. But, you know, Bruce Almighty is a story about this one news reporter. Life isn't going the way he thought it would be going. And the whole thing is he complains to God all the time. So finally God, in the form of Morgan Freeman, is fed up with it and says, okay, you think you could do a better job? I'm going to give you my powers, right? You have all the powers of God. See if you could do a better job. And so, you know, um, Jim Carrey, playing a news reporter, has just been passed up for a promotion that he thought he would get. And his life is just, he feels his life is falling apart. So we see him driving his, I think it's a 260Z or 240Z. Yeah, it's a great car. And, you know, um, and so he's driving and he's praying. It's a night. He goes, God, would you just give me a sign? And then on a road, there's a sign that's blinking. Caution, caution. He goes, God, would you just give me a sign? And then a truck of all of these signs pulls up right in front of him. And he prays out his beads. He goes, God, I need a miracle. And, and then he looks up and he slams right into this lamppost and totally destroys his car. And at this point, his frustration level is here. He's at it. So he's going to have it out with God. And so he has it out with God. And one of the things, his last things he said is, God, you should be fired because you're the only one that's not doing his job. You know? Have you ever felt that way? You know, that... You know, whether you believe God or not, that it's like, God, you know, I'm doing my job, but all of these things are happening to me. What's going on here? It seems like I'm the only one doing the work. You're not doing your job. And if you felt that way, you know, I hope that you um, uh, leave today with hope. Because what we're going to learn today is that God is always at work in the lives of those who believe him. God is always at work in the lives of those who believe him. Now, the difficult part of this is most of the time we only see it afterwards, right? It's really hard to see God working when we're going through that difficult time. Kind of like Jim Carrey. There's these signs all over the place, but he, he didn't pick up that message. And for us, it's the same way. It's tough to believe or see God working when things aren't going well. In our life. And this is where we need to have faith. That no matter what we're going through, God is always at work in the lives of those believe him and who believe in him. And we're going to continue our study in, X, in um, the book of Esther. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, I think I have to you know, catch you up to where we are in the story. And so where we are right now is you know, King Xerxes agrees to exterminate all Jews because there's this guy named Haman who detests Jews. And there's also this one person, Mordecai, who was a Jew who refused to bow down to him. Now, Haman, or as you know, who am I been calling him throughout the series? Jafar, right? And that's the closest I could get. And maybe you could relate to that. But, you know, in Aladdin, you know, you had Jafar. He's this evil vizier. He was second in command. And so the king, he was the king's advisor. And so this is who this Haman was. He was the king's advisor. And so he hated 
Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him and give him the respect due to him. And so not only did he want to kill Mordecai, he wanted to also kill the entire Jewish nation. So he wanted to kill all Jews. So he goes to the king and says all of these lies about the Jews and so that the Jews are a threat to the uh, Persian Empire. So the king says, okay, whatever you want, we'll do that. And so once again, he set out a decree that all the Jews were going to be annihilated. But um, Mordecai had a cousin named Esther, a beautiful woman who became queen. And Mordecai, when he found out that um, Xerxes was going to kill all of the Jews, he told his cousin, or at that, you know, it was kind of like his daughter because he raised her. He goes, you got to do something about this. You know, you're the queen. You know, don't think that you're going to be spared because you're a Jew also. And who knows, maybe you were put into this position for a time such as this. You cannot do nothing and watch your people die. And so, you know, back then, you could not approach the king unless the king summoned you. And if you did approach the king and he, um, he didn't um, put out his scepter to you, you would be executed on the spot. So Esther said, okay, I'll go. If I die, I die. So she goes before the king and she, to plead her case. And, and the king puts out the scepter and uh, you know, Esther is able to talk to the king. And so now um, she's organizing or planning how she's going to deal with Haman, who is the bad guy in the series. And so she asks, she um, organizes a banquet for Haman and the king. So Haman's all excited. He's going, the queen has organized a banquet just for me and the uh, king, just us two. And she's going to organize another one that's just for us two. And so he goes home, and he's all happy, you know, until one thing. He passes Mordecai. And once again, Mordecai does not bow down to him. So he goes home, and he tells his wife and his friends, and he brags about all of the money he has. He brags about all of the promotions that he got. He brags that he's like number two in the whole Persian Empire. But he said all of this is worthless because of that man, Mordecai, because he doesn't bow down to me. He had all of these things, and it was worthless to him because of this one guy. He was like, ooh, you know, I have everything, but this guy, this guy doesn't bow down to me. And that's where we um, left it. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Esther chapter 5, verse number 14. And so we're still, you know, in the scene where we're at Haman's home where his wife and his friends are there. And he just got up saying that, oh, I can't be happy because Mordecai is still alive. And it says, his wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Now, some of your versions said to have Mordecai hanged on it, which I believe it's hanged on it. It says, then go to the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggested, uh, suggestion delighted Haman, so he had the pole set up. And so here he's complaining about this guy Mordecai. So his wife says, look, why don't you just have a pole? 
make it, um, how, how high was it? It was uh, 50 cubits, which is about 70 feet, and hang this guy from it. 70 feet. You know, that's pr- pretty high up. And so the reason he wanted this uh, scaffolding 70 feet is so when he hung Mordecai on it, the entire city could see it. It'll be in plain view of the entire city. So everybody could see Mordecai hanging from the scaffolding. And so what did he do? You know, he was second in command. He was wealthy. So boom, he had it done right away. Now, I don't know their engineering, but, you know, they did it just right then. Okay? So they set up this huge scaffolding to hang um, Mordecai. Now, let's go to um, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Now, if you notice what I have in yellow here, whenever you see something in yellow, I want you to think, is this coincidence or is this God's providence? Okay, so whenever you see something highlighted in yellow, I want you to think, is this just coincidence or is this God's providence? Because once again, Haman set up the scaffolding to hang Mordecai. And he knew that he was going to go to a banquet the next day and be with the king. So the very next day, he was going to go to the king and ask the king to execute Mordecai. I mean, this is all happening very quick. So the night before uh, Mordecai, uh, uh, Haman was going to ask Mordecai, Haman was going to ask the king if he could execute Mordecai. The king could not sleep. The king could not sleep. So what does the king do? He said, well, get the book of Chronicles that records all of the things that I've done. And so it's like, well, I can't sleep, so somebody go get a history book that records all of the things that I have done in my reign. Now, you know kings have a big ego, right? So do you think there are only a few things written in that book? (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't mean to snort there, but I just think this is funny as I read Esther. Um, This book is probably pretty big and probably pretty thick and has all of the things that King Xerxes did, and he just wants to hear it. And so they read it to him. And let's go to the next verse. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate the king. Now before um, Mordecai got privy to this plot, that two of the king's eunuchs wanted to assassinate him. So he told Esther, who was the queen at that time, to tell the king that these two were plotting to assassinate the king. So the king found out, he did his research, and indeed these two were going to, had a, or hatching a plot to assassinate the king, and he had them executed. But it says, it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh. Now you're talking a pretty big book of all of what King Xerxes did. Is it coincidence? 
Or is it God's providence that whoever happened to be reading um, this book of Chronicles read that event? I mean, there are probably thousands of events that they could have read, right? Thousands of events that could have, they could have read. But they just happened to read this particular event. Verse 3. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing had been done for him. His attendants answered. So once again, you know, out of all of the things they could have read, they read this. And so the king goes, huh, this guy saved my life. What did we do for this one person? And they said, nothing, sir. And so the question is, nothing has been done to them. Is that coincidence? Or is that God's providence? Because if something was done to honor honor Mordecai back then, it would have changed the way events unfolded from now to the end of the story. And we're going to see that later. But how do you think Mordecai felt? You know, he goes, I saved the king. You know, I exposed a plot um, of these two, two of his officials that wanted to assassinate him. And what did the king do for me? Nothing. He didn't even thank me. Nothing. I saved his life, and he did nothing to show his gratitude towards me. But you know that um, Mordecai didn't even use that as a bargaining chip um, with Esther? When he told Esther that he needs to go before the king and say, hey, you need to do something because he's going to execute or annihilate all of our people. He didn't say, oh, by the way, tell him that I was the one who exposed that plot to kill him. He didn't do any of that. He didn't use this as a bargaining chip for the king. And why was that? Well, number one, he didn't have access to the king. Like I said, only those who had access, you had to be invited. But two, you did not bargain with the king. If he went to King Xerxes and said, Hey, king, you know I saved your life, and you didn't do anything for me. What do you think the king king would have done? Well, you want me to do something for you? Okay, off with your head. You know, he probably would have executed a Mordecai for that. So there's nothing that Mordecai could do. He saved the king. Obviously, for in, in his mind, the king wasn't appreciative, but there was nothing he could do. He couldn't even use this as a bargaining chip to save his own people. But isn't that like us sometimes? You know, when we go before God and we think we do something really good, and we say, God, look what I did. And we're waiting for God to say, because of this, I'm going to do this for you, Right? But how many times when we thought we were following God? How many times when we thought we were doing, and we knew we were doing the right thing, and then silence, and then nothing? And sometimes things get worse in our lives, right? Things get worse, but nothing from God. But we have to realize that we're in the same position, that we cannot bargain with God. No, it's not going to help 
our case. If we said, God, I did this for you. So since I did for this, this for you, why don't you do this for me? It doesn't work that way. We, like Mordecai, just have to sit and wait and trust that God sees it. And that God will reward us. You know, in Matthew 6, you know, you know, Jesus was talking about giving. And he said, you know, when you give, you know, don't be like those who give. And, you know, back in those times, there was these big, big brass bowls that people used to toss their coins in. And those who were wealthy or wanted a break, they had a handful of these quarters or coins. And they would just put them into this brass bowl. And everybody could hear it. So they, they were, wow, did you see Cole? Man, he put that money in it. I could hear that brass bowl all the way from the back. He put in a lot of money. That Cole, wow, what a spiritual guy, right? But what did Jesus say? He said, don't do that. Don't do that. When you give, do not give so other people could hear you. Because he said, that's your only reward. He said, when you give, give in secret. Your father who sees it, sees it in secret and will reward you. The same thing when he talks about prayer. He says, when you go out pray, don't go on the street corners and pray out loud so everyone could see your righteousness. He said what? Go pray in a quiet place. Your heavenly father sees it in secret and he will reward you. And so we see that same principle here. And God sees it. God sees what we're doing, right? God sees what we're doing. And God says that he'll reward us. And it says, now, let's go to verse 4. It says, the king said, well, who's in the court? Because once again, he said, well, what did we do for this Mordecai guy? And they said, nothing. So he's trying to figure out, oh, okay, I, I, we blew it. The guy saved my life and we didn't do anything. What do we need to do? Um, to reward this guy. And so the king says, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole that he set up for him. Now Mordecai is going to ask the king, hey, can I hang Mordecai? That's why he was there. But the fact that just when the king was trying to figure out how to reward Mordecai, what happens? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace. Coincidence or God's province? And we're going to see this as we go on. And his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Well, bring him in, the king ordered. And then when Haman entered, the king asked him, What shall be done for the man the king delights to honor? Are you asking Haman this? It says, Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Coincidence or God's providence? There could have been anyone there to advise the king. But Haman just so happened to be coming in when the king was trying to figure out how to reward Mordecai. And then the king asked Haman, what should be done for the person I want to honor? And then what does uh, Haman do? Oh my goodness. Who? The king wants to honor me. And he's asking me. So pretty much Haman is thinking, how can I use this to my advantage? 
right? Because the king wants to honor me. And he's asking, how should this person be honored? So he answered the king. Now, once again, he's answering on the ways that he wants to be honored. He said, for the man the king delights to honor, in verse 8, have them bring the royal robe the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on on its head. It's interesting. It says it's not good enough to bring a, a robe or a horse. You have to bring a royal robe that the king wore. We don't want just any horse. We want a horse. Give this guy a horse that the king wore. So basically what he's trying to say is, hey, give this guy all these things that sets his glory to be equal with the king. Not power, but glory. Okay, because he's going to wear a robe that the king War. Not just any rope. And then it says, um, Have them bring the royal robe to the king. No, verse 9, I'm sorry. And said, Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. And let them robe the man the king delights to honor. And lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is to be done for the man the king delights to honor. So Haman comes up with this grand plan to honor himself, right? And so he's thinking, get one of the royal princes or the most noble prince. But he didn't realize in his mind, what was he? He was number two. Right? Who else? So who's the king thinking to get the most noble prince? Well, he's thinking, oh, I'll get Haman to do this. But this is where I love this. This is where the twist comes. It says, go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you suggested for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not (laughs) neglect anything that you recommend. And he's probably like, what? And he's like, Wait a second. What, what, what? You know, I described all of these things so you could do them for me. And now you're going to tell me you're going to do all of these things for Mordecai? The guy I detest? The guy I hate? Haman had no choice. And so this is so cool. In Esther 6.11, so Haman got... The robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. This guy is having a really bad day. Okay? And so here he's thinking he's going to be honored. So he comes up with his great plan. And God tells, and um, uh, the king Xerxes said, great plan. And go do it for Mordecai. And I could just see Haman leading the horse. You know, with Mordecai sitting on it. He's under his breath, so mad. Can't believe this guy is doing it. Oh, this is a guy that God, the king wants to honor. He's an idiot. He should not be there. Everybody, you know, we're, you know, bowed on a plate, homage to him. This guy's a fool. He should not, you know, I could just see him going through all the street. Can you just picture that in your mind? Here he thought it was him. And then God uses his plan 
to honor the man that he hated most in the world. You know, when we read Psalm 23, and David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, this is it, right? He's prepared a table uh, for him in the presence of his enemies. He exalted Mordecai over Haman. And once again, going back, if the king had honored um, Mordecai, when he exposed that plot, um, the assassination plot, none of this would have happened. Because, um, you know, if, when he was reading that book, the king would have said, hey, what did we do for this guy Mordecai who, who exposed this plot? And they would have said, oh, yeah, we already gave him, you know, 50 shekels of silver. And the king would have said, oh, okay, that's cool. But he did nothing for him. And so he realized that. So the time was right for the king to reward Mordecai. And how did he reward Mordecai? He rewarded Mordecai by setting him up over his enemy. God was watching. God was working. God was using the fact that the king couldn't sleep. God was using just his... um, um, a, a nobles or who his servants reading a book about his um, accomplishments. God was using the fact that he needed advice to, uh, um, the king needed advice to say, how do I reward Mordecai? And this ego, um, narcissistic Haman just happened to be walking in. God was working behind the scenes. Do you think Mordecai saw any of this happen? Of course not. Mordecai had no idea this was happening. And the same is true for us. You know, a lot of times we're going through life and we're wondering, God, what's going on here? Why aren't you working? Because we think that God is only going to be working in the big things, right? That we want God to be taking care of those big rocks in our lives, smashing them down, clearing the path for us. But what do we see here? God is working, but he also works in the small details. Details that you think are insignificant. I mean, how insignificant is the fact that the king couldn't sleep? Right? That's pretty insignificant. The king just had insomnia. He couldn't sleep. But that set off a chain of events that helps save the nation of Israel. All right? And so in your life, when you don't see God working, don't discount the fact that since we don't see big things happening in our life, that he's not. God is always working in our lives. And then, of course, it ends with um, verse 12 and 13. It says, after Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. What do you think? You know, and and told Zeresh, his wife, and all of his friends, everything that happened to him. And his advisor and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. 
And then while they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Once again, those who were supporting him are now distancing him themselves from Haman. Because they could see, dude, this is, your, part, your plot backfired. I mean, major backfire here. You know, it's like, oh, we don't, we don't want to be near, close to you because we know what's going to happen to you. Um, but God is always working. And I want to close with this verse, uh, Romans 8, um, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love this verse. You know, it says, and we know in what? Some things? No. It says, we know that in all things, good things that happen to us, bad things that happen to us, times when we're not acknowledged by God, times when we feel that God is silent, not doing anything in our lives. It says what? God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So right now, if you're at that point where you're just saying, God, I don't get it. I don't see in your life what you're doing in my life. Instead of doing what I thought you would be doing, and these horrible things are happening in my life. Or, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing, but come on, it sounds like you're ignoring me. You know, you didn't even acknowledge, you know, what I did. God is always working behind the scenes. But not as is he working behind the scenes. Praise God that he's working all of these things for your good and for the good of those around us, for the good of his kingdom. And so we, this is a promise from God that whatever we go through, it's going to turn out for good. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how God works, how one event affects another event and affects another event. I don't know that. But we've seen in Esther how the king's insomnia set off a chain of events for some wonderful things to happen. And the same thing could happen in your life. Things that you might see insignificant could set off a chain of events that will lead to some wonderful things in your life. All we have to do is trust God. And this is what I want you to do this week if you have the time. You know, I want you to set up your own book of Chronicles where you write down all the things or events where you saw God working in your life. Take some time and write down all of the events, both maybe significant or not significant, that you see God working in your life and write them down. Because when you write these things down and you get to a period of, God, I don't know if you care about me. God, I don't know if you're there. Just go and read that. Read what you wrote. And you'll see and you'll be reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness in your life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for this book of Esther. I love it. And how you totally use things that we would just overlook. And you use them, Father, to set up a chain of events that are just wondrous, Father. That things that, oh, Mordecai couldn't even see. And Lord, I know that he probably felt neglected by the king. He saved his life. And yet the king did not even recognize that. And Lord, I know there are times in our life when we feel the same way. Where we feel like, God, you know, I've been serving you. I've been faithful to you. I've been walking with you. And it seems like you're just neglecting me. You're not acknowledging me. But Father, we know that 
in all things, Father. You work for the good of those who love you. And so, Father, for those who are going through a difficult time right now, I pray that you would increase their faith. And for those who are having a hard time believing, Father, would you help them in their unbelief to be able to trust you, to let them know that you are always working, that you do not rest, that you do not need sleep, and that you are always watching over us, whether we see it or not. And Lord, forgive us for the time when we accused you of not being active in our lives, only to see later on that you were, and we just couldn't see it at the time. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our arrogance, Father. And forgive us for complaining against you when you were working and we didn't notice. But, Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of our complaints um, and whining and our critical spirit of you, Father, you are always working for our good. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.